When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, welcome to the Brett Boone Podcast. Explore the mind of MLB All-Star, Silver Slugger, and Gold Glove winner, Brett Boone, as he sits down with his friends from the world of professional sports. Now, Now, up to to bat, Brett Boone. Welcome to the Boone Podcast. I'm Brett Boone, and today on the program, I sit down with a legendary Chicago Bear. He's one of the hardest hitters of his era. And the Bears' famous 46 defense was named after today's guest. Ladies and gentlemen, Doug Plank. Doug, thanks for coming on the program. Thanks, Brad. It's a pleasure having me on the show. I, I really like it. The NFL, physical nature of the game. I've had this debate with a lot of my buddies that played in the NFL. I'm, I'm going to start off with an easy. How often did you play healthy? 100%. Come Sunday, 100%. How often was that for you? Uh, I would say the first game of the season. And that was pretty much it. There was there, <laughs> there was always something that had to be fixed. Uh, I mean, here I am today sitting with four replaced joints, two titanium shoulders, two titanium knees, and over 20 concussions. Uh, not, not to talk about broken bones uh, and all, all those sort of things. I mean, uh, it's – but, you know, once again, you know, it's subject to rules just like baseball. You know, you can only play – uh, in, in that box, so to speak, between the one rule and the other. And it, it, has, cha- it has changed drastically since my uh, departure. Yeah, the game's de- definitely different. And it's and I want to get into that a little bit later. It's, it's different, you know, in my game, baseball. Things are changing. And, you know, guys like us that played in a different generation were, were usually hesitant to change. Like, no, don't change anything in the game. Some of them have to be done going forward. That's just uh, the nature of, of life, actually. We, we keep going forward. Some things are better. And some things, you know, I still sit here and think, nah, I wish I, I wish they wouldn't have changed that rule because it takes a, a certain intricacy out of the game. I'm thinking about my career and, and playing and, and was kind of our mentality. Tell me if, if this resonates with you. I, I, I was watching a baseball game. And uh, this particular host on the show said, because you're scouted in five different areas in baseball and and you're ranked one through eight, you know, I'll give you an example, speed, uh, arm strength, you know, one through eight. Anyway, it's the five tools. And he said, and, and something that really hit me, he said, you know, there should be six categories and the six categories should be the ability to post. And in today's game where, where it seems to me, and I, I think it's more the culture, how the, how the players today are brought up. If you're not 100%, we're going to make sure you're 100% when you get on the field. I know when I played, and for sure, you're kind of the generation before me. You tape yourself together and you get your butt out on the field if you can possibly do it. And in, in my game, I, I felt like I was 50% of the time I was 100%, if that makes sense. But it was the mentality was and maybe it was a little bit me growing up with my dad who started playing in the early 70s was basically if you can be out there 
you find a way to get out here that you owe it to your teammates. They expect you to be there. And, and, uh, I don't know. I, I just, I feel like we've gotten away from that a little bit, maybe, maybe not so much in football as baseball, but I definitely see it in baseball. And I think it's how young players are brought up and it's a culture. It's not necessarily their fault. It's the way the game is in 2023. I, I can't agree with you more. Uh, I think there's a different mentality. I loved baseball. I my I had a batting rec average that stood for 30 some years at my high school, 526 my senior year, and uh, I could hit fastballs all day long. One thing I couldn't hurt was a hit was a curveball, and I got curveballs all the time. My point is, uh, I would have loved to have been a baseball player. I was. I was ready to get signed by a free agent contract with the pirates where I grew up in Pittsburgh, you know, all the Vernon laws, Roberto Clemente's. Oh my gosh. I watched those guys day in, day out. And, uh, baseball is a tough sport. It's, it's, it's tough because it's, I think it's more of a th thinking, you know, you, you have to all logically figure out what pitch is going to come to you, how you're going to hit it. Uh, if it does, if you're out in the field, uh, where are you going to go with the ball? You know, whether it's a, you know, a slow grounder or a liner, you know, it makes a total difference. And, uh, and the same thing is true for football. It's um, the whole thing about playing hurt. There's one thing that can take pain away and that's drugs. That's, that's painkillers. And that tent that's that you see every day on an NFL game, that tent is there for a reason. It's not for camping. They don't have sleeping bags in there. They have something else which you're going to go in, in in feeling one way and you're going to come out feeling a whole bunch whole bunch better the other on the other end of that. And when you do that year after year, game after game, there's consequences. And uh, basically it's joint deterioration. And whether it's football, you know, we all, we all hear about, you know, the uh, pitcher's elbow and all that sort of thing, you know, as far as uh, rehab and things like that are concerned. You know, each sport is unique and has its own little aches and pains to it. But I think what you're talking about, Brett, is that you have to have a tremendous mental toughness to be able to just put yourself in a position that says, I know I'm in pain, I know it hurts, but I'm going to go back out on that field and I'm going to play and I'm going to give it 100%. And I'm going to do it over and over because all the players around me are doing the same thing. And I saw, I, you know, for example, you, you see players – Maybe, you know, we've we're, we're got to receive the needle before the game started even, you know, just because that that uh, injury that they had incurred did not heal from last week. But they were needed. They were needed to win a game. And you paid the price. Yeah, you talk about the mental side. And, and I used to, when, in my Seattle days, I used to, in a fun way, I would debate with, with uh, at the time, Hasselback was the cornerback, quarterback for, for the Seahawks. And we used to debate on which is tougher. Is it the baseball or is it football? We talked physical and then we talked the mental side. And now as a baseball player, you played baseball. I never played football above peewee football. So I really don't have a, a good feeling for that. I mean, I think about right now coming across the middle and getting my brains beat in. Uh, I, I couldn't imagine that yet. If somebody tells me there's a chance today, you're going to get hit in the head with a hundred mile an hour fastball that really doesn't uh, detour me or, or, or it doesn't scare me. Uh, but coming across the middle and, and running into you in your heyday, I, I don't know what that feels like. And I don't want to know what it feels like. But I used to debate with Hasselback. I said, listen, Matt, 
I said, you play one day a week and 16 days at the time now, 17 games. Right. And I said, you, I'm my hats off to you guys. You're going to get your brains beat in once a week. And mm-hmm. it, you, you got one week to get ready for the next game. I said, baseball, we don't get, you know, I'm not going to get hit. I'm not going to get uh, shoulder pads in my neck. But I'll tell you, I play 162 games and I just slowly get beat up over time. And I said, and then when we got to the mental side of, of football, it's like, especially being a quarterback, you could have a great game on Sunday. Your your team wins. You pass for 350 yards and you kind of walk around that next week with your chest uh, buffed out a little bit like, hey, look at me. Now, the contrary is. You had a horrible week. Your team got crushed. You got to walk around for a week, kind of hide in your face. Like, all right, let me get to next week so I can redeem myself. So I think there's pros and cons in each sport. Baseball, man, when, when, when I'm not feeling it or I'm not seeing the ball well, I'm in a slump, I don't want to go to the ballpark. Quite the contrary, when, when that baseball looks like a beach ball, and I'm getting two hits every night. I, I'm skipping to the ballpark. So I think there's pros and cons on both sides. And it's fun for me to debate it because uh, I've never been an NFL player. I don't know what it's like. I don't know what it's like on Monday. I want to talk. How, how about what is it like for you on Monday after after the, the, the uh, train crash on Sunday afternoon? See, Brett, I'll tell you what. Uh, what you just talked about there, baseball, football, for – any of us that's played the sport, even in high school or just, uh, you know, in younger years, in, in football, you have someone to blame. If you don't get enough points, you're looking at that quarterback and offense going, you guys stink. You're terrible. Right. On the other hand, if you give up 40 points on defense, you, you, it's time to look in the mirror and say, what happened? What the heck happened? Now, I was a safety, 12 yards off the ball, lined up on the center, quarterback. Um, there were times I actually led the team in tackles. Now, what does that tell you about the other guys that were between you and the quarterback and the line? What happened to them? Where did they go? Why weren't they in there making those tackles? So those same feelings of, of frustration and anger, I think, are evident in both sports. But, you know, it, it's it's different in baseball because you're, you're, you know, more of a specialist, either maybe a hitter or a, a, a fielder. Uh, you know, and, and, the, and the great ones can do both. They can bo- do both better than anybody else. Um, but it's one of those things that when you come in after a game, you can't start yelling and screaming at the other guys on the other side of the locker room because y- you can look in the mirror. Because if the other team scored too many points, then then we did something wrong. We either threw too many easy pitches to hit. We made errors. We made bad decisions on where we were going with the ball and, you know, on, on a long out in the outfield. Um, so that, that dynamic is a little bit different. Uh, you, you have a bad guy on your team in football that you can <laughs> let it all out in the locker room after the game. And that happened to me plenty of times. Yeah. I saw guys really just go after each other uh, because they felt like the other team, the other half of the team didn't perform. Yeah, you know, the, the the dynamic I never think about either is it, every game for you guys is so important. Yes. Because there's only a certain amount of them. Whereas baseball, we tend to, listen, we do this every day, and we go into series, 
to win series. Uh, we, I don't go to uh, play the New York Yankees and expect to sweep them four games. But if I can get out of there with three out of four, or if it's a three-game series, if we get out of there with two out of three, we did our job. Where so so it's not so every day. You know, I'm going to make an error. I'm going to strike out with the bases loaded. My pitcher's going to give it up. But in baseball, it's it, it's so yeah. You know, we're going to be back here tomorrow. So so things aren't as as big as one NFL game because one mistake that leads to a loss, that's a huge loss. You think of the schedule. I mean, it's kind of equal to about 10 games for a, for a, uh, in the baseball schedule, one NFL game. So the dynamic is quite different. And, and I don't know, I think, I think it's interesting to sit here and discuss it with you at the same time. I've never gone through it. So man, that Sunday, that one loss is that's equal to 10 losses in a, in a major league baseball. You know what? And I never really had thought about that, but you are so true. Uh, I felt like when I lost a baseball game, we had more games. There wasn't right. like we had to win tomorrow. <laughs> we don't, yeah, we're playing tomorrow. So why should I be in? But, you know, that's what makes it so much more pressure. It's just all this pressure is put on you. Uh, you know, that that one game a week situation, every every play makes a difference. Uh, when I was in college, uh, we had a rival at Ohio State. Uh, University of Michigan. And and frankly, you know, we used to practice their plays all year long during the season because we knew we were, we were going to beat the Illinois, the Indianas. So why would you practice their plays? We're going to just go out there and blow them away. So we're practicing for our arch rival. And, uh, and it's hard to do that in baseball because what we go against are plays, what you go against are individual talent. So it's hard to replicate that in a practice and, you know, and say you, you got this great pitcher or whatever. Oh, we're going to just put the, the, the guy that replicates him. That, that just doesn't happen. And so it, it, it does make a difference. And it, it, it um, it's possible there's, there's uh, consequences. I, I missed a tackle. Um, I think it was my junior year, senior year against Michigan. Uh, back came out of the backfield, ran a little loop route and caught the little dump pass like five yards and I came up and uh, I didn't play very much that year. So I tried to just crush everybody. I tried, I was, it's like swinging for the fences. If you, if you get up there and go to bat, you swing for the fences, you're going to hit the fences or you're going to get some home runs, but guess what else you're going to get? Strikeouts. <laughs> so I tried blasting this guy. Now I hit him hard and I actually knocked him back five yards. He still regained his balance and went another 25, 30 yards for a touchdown. To do that in a big game, Nobody is ever going to forget it. We can all think of the Bill Buckners in the world and what happens in a situation where you, you miss a, a ball that you should have fielded and thrown the ball. Uh, same thing is true in football. And if you do that, there are consequences. The common consequences for me at Ohio State was I was never going to get back on the field. After that game, you know, we had a Rose Bowl to go to and all that sort of thing. Um, I was going to be the last person. Everybody else would have had to be, you know, missed the bus or hurt for me to go in that game. <laughs> and so my final game at Ohio State was watching it mostly and maybe running down on a kickoff. That was it. Uh, so there's a trust factor also in both sports. And, you know, whether coaches like to talk about it or not, they don't. But the reality is there's something because I coached in, in, in NFL and college also. And 
do you really want to put that person in a critical situation where it's going to be a win or a loss? Nope, it's not going to happen. We're going to have somebody else in there. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. You talk about coaching, and I've thought about this a lot. I've had a lot of great managers I've played for. And, and when it comes down to it, maybe the great ones make the difference in a 162-game schedule. Maybe the great ones I've played for play a role in three or four. Uh, and I've talked about this a lot on the, on the program, too, with other players. I don't remember, or, or if so, very rarely sitting around the game, sitting around the, the clubhouse after a ball game, talking with my players, you know, and, 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 and the teams I played on, we did that a lot. We'd sit around after the game and, and kind of break down what happened, whether it was win, lose, whatever. Uh, just kind of, you know, that downtime after a ball game. And very rarely did I ever sit there and think, wow. Our skipper really screwed us today. It's his fault we lost. No, it, it seemed like 99 out of 100 times, whether we win, won or lost, it wasn't because of the manager. It was because of the players. You know, we didn't play well today. We didn't execute, whatever it may be. The onus was never on the manager. I'm interested, but I, but I know the NFL is different because you mentioned earlier in the, in the show, you practice, you prepare against plays. Plays are a big thing in the NFL. Yes. Um, so my question is NFL head coaches, how many games throughout the course of a, a, an NFL season does the head coach make a difference? Uh, let me just say, you know, in college, I had Woody Hayes, uh, right. people were fearful of him, uh, because he was known, um, to be a very physical and tough football coach. His departure from NCAA football was hitting another player on the other other side of the field uh, during a game uh, along the sideline. Um, he, he was tough. And then I think of even in uh, the pros in the Chicago Bears, I, I, I think Mike Ditka might never hit anybody, but I feel like his words were enough to get that team to the Super Bowl and win it because he called the team out when he first got there. And the first meeting he had, there was really a little disrespect for him in the meeting because people were still talking and making noise during his conversation. And he, he yelled out something where everybody stopped talking. And he said, I want to tell you one thing. He said, this team is going to the Super Bowl. He goes, that's the good news. 50% of you in this room are not going to make it. And then there was silence. Things changed after Mike Ditka arrived in town. And not only, only what he would accept, what he wouldn't accept, he would watch film. And if it was not because of talent, but because of effort, something broke down, a touchdown, a bad pass, whatever, pass protection, that's when he pointed out to every player in that room that they were letting each other down. They were stealing from the rest of the team. 
And I'll tell you what, there was nothing like being in that meeting room and you did something bad. It's okay. You could do something bad, but it better not be from lack of effort. Otherwise, everybody in that room was going to look at you and stare at you for probably 30 seconds during the, watching the film. Why didn't you, why didn't you get back up off the ground, Doug? Why didn't you try to tackle him? Why didn't you turn him in? All those sort of things. And things changed. So I think the coach's presence in that meeting room makes a huge difference. Yeah, that, that, that is so much. That's interesting. Cause you got, you guys do, you have film days. We never have filmed it. We do individual film. You know, we'll watch pitchers tendencies who, who we face in the night. Uh, what was his last start? Maybe his last start against my team, but yeah, yours is much different and more in depth from a team perspective. Uh, you mentioned Ditka, Woody Hayes, uh, yet buddy Ryan, I believe is a defensive coordinator. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, you know what, buddy? Buddy's buddy Ryan is a he's the he wasn't a yeller though. He was one of those gentlemen that got in front of you and he laid it out the way it was. He he didn't like cowards or rookies. <laughs> and he told the team that. Now you you could come in as a rookie. What did you do other than just get drafted? You, you had no choice on coming to this team, but you were on the team and you were a rookie. Well, you you better start acting like a veteran and and not acting like a rookie. And, you know, one thing is for sure with Buddy, cowards were almost like run out of the room. You know, if somebody basically stopped and pretended like they were hitting somebody, you you, you know yourself, Brett, when you're in that room and all your other teammates are around you, they know whether you're trying or not. Oh, yeah. They know whether you 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 gave effort or not. And you can't you can't trick them. Because they've done, they're doing it every single day. They're doing the same thing in terms of running through, making a play, catching the ball, uh, making a hit, uh, you know, taking out an infielder from th- picking up a double, you know, double play. Um, and if you don't do that in front of your teammates and they all turn around and look at you, it's, it's a feeling you never want to have the rest of your life. And uh, when Buddy Ryan, I mean, he was a sergeant in the Korean War. That's exactly how he ran our team, uh, especially the defense. And, you know, he, he just was taking no prisoners. You know, we're taking him down. We're not going to be sorry for it. Um, <laughs> you know, he, he would do things like, uh, you know, there were several times games that I didn't think I could play physically. You know, something was wrong with me. And uh, he always made sure there was something that I could do in the lock in the um, training room <laughs> to be able to play that day. Yeah. So, but you know what? When I did do that, or or when another player did that, all our whole defense would come to them during the game and afterwards, after we won the game, and say, "Thank you, thank you for doing what you had to to help our team win." And the whole loyalty thing. I mean, it almost felt like he was back in the army running an army platoon and you, you were going to do anything you could sacrifice yourself for our team and for the Chicago bears. You know, I played, I played, you, you mentioned he didn't like rookies or you had to prove to him that, yeah, you may be a rookie, but there's no way around being a rookie. You're either a rookie or not, but you better not behave like one. I had, I had a similar guy, Lou Pinella. Uh, same type of thing. He didn't like pitchers and he didn't like rookies. But if you were a rookie that showed him that you had a veteran mindset and you were a pitcher that threw strikes, he loved you. 
but in general, he he hated rookies and he hated and he hated uh, starting pitchers because he couldn't stand people walking. You know, uh, he, he was a piece of work. My favorite to this day, the uh, guy that I played for just every day coming in. What's Lou going to do today? I, I, you know what I like? And, and I see today's game and I think of a football, I, I think of football is a tough game. You know, like I, I mentioned earlier, I played uh, peewee football and I remember my head coach there. He was one of those tough guys. And if you, if you messed up, I mean, I'm 12, 13 years old, but he's going to grab me by the face mask and jerk me around. Now in today's yep. society, you could never do that. You'd have a lawsuit. But uh, I, I don't know. I kind of like that. That's what I always thought about football is we're tough. When we screw up, we get some tough love from our coach and nobody cares. And, and the parents say, yeah, he probably deserved it. You know, I really feel for for uh, younger uh, boys and girls today because I don't think you know where to go. You know, what huddle do you go to? Not, not just offense, defense. Um, you know, where's your orientation? And you know, in a locker room, you know, there was a, a time where, you know, there were some thoughts of, you know, allowing different individuals in the locker room. I don't know. that I, I know I know you feel the same way, Brett. That, that locker room is sacred ter- territory. And right. um, whether it's for reporters or other individuals, I, I, I just don't understand how some a, a game – where you're really out there sacrificing yourself. It, it, it's probably more on one day for, for football, but you look at a baseball season. Oh my God, there's, <laughs> I mean, it's spread out over months. And like you said, you got, you're, you're playing a lot of games each week and double headers. <laughs> I don't, I don't know how you did that. I mean, because what for, for my men's that mental standpoint after one or one or two hours of game tempo, Man, I, I, I would never have had the ability to say, okay, guys, let's suit up for another game today. We're going to do a double header here, and we're all going to be excited and having fun and hitting balls and all. That, that's a challenge, and it's a long day. It's a long day, and so I, I think it's, it's two different temperaments. And, you know, some of the players that I, I played with, both in college and in the pros, some of them had incredible concentration and ability to not make mistakes. There's other ones that, man, after 60 minutes, you better send those guys home because the, the mental the, the the mental gears are getting turned off. They they can't they can't comprehend, you know, much more. Just competition and plays and hitting and all those sort of things. Uh, those are really hard to just exert over a long period of time. Looking at baseball, there's been a lot of changes. Some I like, some I don't. I, I don't like them having to slide in to second base. I, I liked, I liked when they had you had the opportunity to take me out at second base. That was a challenge for me. I think that's what separated great second baseman turning a double play versus average. Now there's no separation. It seems like anybody could turn a double play now because of the rules. I, I don't like some of the rules, but some of them I think had to be had to be made for. The swiftness of game. I think the pitch clock was a big thing for me. What I thought, you know, at a at first glance, I thought, no, this is ridiculous. We're the only sport that doesn't uh, have a clock. Now all of a sudden, we're going to have a clock. I think it's been a positive thing, and there's been a lot of positive feedback from not only players, coaches, and managers, but from fans. And and as you know, if fans like it, uh, yes. it's usually going to stick. 
what are some of the changes in the NFL, positive and negative, for for Doug Plank that you see since the time you played? I, you know, I think the game is a, is a faster tempo now. You know, there's you know, I, I think less time in between plays. Uh, you know, I, I think that they're trying to constantly make it, it. I'll just say this. I was a special teams player too, almost exclusively at Ohio state, but I, I did do some, my first couple of years with, with the Chicago bears. And uh, you know, that those are plays that, you know, really there's nothing like being in a big stadium. It's like watching a home run. You hit, see the ball get hit. You can actually see the ball fly through the stadium into the stands you know, out there and over the wall. That is something that I think is so inherent with baseball. Uh, but on the other hand, football, the kickoffs, the punts, you know, where the ball is going up in the air. It, it's it's a lot of drama when you're sitting in that stadium and you're watching that happen and take place. And now all of a sudden, you know, maybe I, I know there's rules and consideration about limiting limiting returns both punts and kickoff returns just because there was so many injuries that were taking place as a result there was guys running down on the kickoff team like me that were going to drive that helmet into any piece of body i could see helmet shoulder pads uh i've got both of my helmets from ohio state and chicago bears they're both broke the last game i played i said i'm going to hit somebody so hard I'm not saying I'm, I, I knew the helmet was going to break, but they go, Doug, this helmet's a, with no, of no use for us. You can take it with you. And it's that final kind of thing. Like I, I look at football like NASCAR. Um, you're going around that track a lot of times. Sooner or later, you may know not when it's going to happen. You're going to get in a big wreck. And you just better hope that helmet, because that's all that the only protection you've got. You don't have a hood in front of you. Uh, you better hope that helmet is in good shape. And uh, I remember when my helmet broke in college, I was at the Rose Bowl my senior year, and the trainer came over and said, hey, Doug, I, I, I can fix it. And uh, he had a big roll of tape, and he, he, you know, through the ear hole of the helmet, he pushed that, like, two-inch wide tape, you know, and then wrapped it around my face mask, which is in the front. He just taped that whole thing up with a roll of white tape and said, Doug, okay, go back up. You're ready to go. <laughs> Could you imagine that today? Never no, happened. No, I, I, I mean, if, even and I, I was looking at an old game one time, the last Rose Bowl, and I saw this white patch on the side of my helmet thinking, what was that? And I thought, oh, yes, now it's coming back to me. They had to roll that tape through my ear hole and face mask. And no, you're right. And the, the best thing is I didn't get hurt. You know, I, I didn't suffer some sort of a damage. Maybe I did. I don't know. But uh it was, yeah, you wouldn't, you wouldn't see that in today. Baseball, football, it doesn't matter. Well, and I think too, you know, everything's going to change. My grandpa played in the, in the forties and the fifties, dad in the eighties and the nineties, uh, or I'm sorry, the seventies and the eighties, my generation, uh, the current generation, it, the, the game's constantly going to change and, you, and you're going to yes. have your favorite generations, your favorite eras, obviously with the, the era that we each played in uh, is going to pr be particularly close to us because of, I look at my childhood. I loved baseball in the seventies. because I was a kid yes. watching my dad. Uh, so I'm partial and I'm going to be biased and you're probably biased to certain generations. Time will tell each generation when we're all said, you know, we're all long gone. 
uh, life will move on and each generation <laughs> will be will be judged by by its era and hey did did we like this this era of football did we like this era of baseball but in the meantime it's like it's not my game anymore you know baseball has always talked about unwritten rules and hey brett what are, what are the unwritten rules of baseball and i thought about it for a while and i thought you know i know what the unwritten rules were when i was on the field in, in from 1992 to 2007 i knew what those unwritten rules were but it's a different game now. It's 2023. This isn't my game anymore. It's the current crop of players game. And they dictate what the unwritten rules are. And they may be different than ours. And, and 50 years from now, the game might be completely different. Uh, so I, I, I don't know. I think it's ever, it's ever changing. And, and uh, you know, one day we'll, we'll, we'll all be judged of what was your favorite era of football? You know, what was your favorite era of baseball? But, but life will go on. I think, you know, uh, for example, in football during my term, uh, the quarterback, like the pitcher, would be like the key position on whether your team was successful or not successful. I mean, I don't care how good your your fielders were, your infield, your outfield. If the guy is throwing batting practice, your pitcher, you're going to lose. You can have the best fielders in the world because they're going to be fielding 20 or 30 balls a, an inning. <laughs> you know, because right. guys are going to get doubles and singles and home runs, and they're just going to keep going round and round and round. We had coaches, you know, when the rules were more like like they were in the past. We understood that the quarterback was the main position, and how, what is the answer to that question? If the if the quarterback is the most important position, our duty on defense is to get that quarterback out of the game as fast as possible. Very seldom, I don't know what the statistics are, any game, you know, just like when you're, you, you're taking out a pitcher, things aren't good. He's not striking people out. There's, he, what, what pitcher have you taken out? See, you don't, they don't take pitchers out of games where they haven't given up any runs. You know, maybe late in the game, if they've given up a couple of hits in the ninth inning, they might make a change. But if your team's got nine nine runs and you you don't they've given up zero, it's not time to go take the pitcher out. On the other hand, when you're on in football, if that team is scoring 21 points against you and you haven't scored anything, what should you do? Take that other quarterback out of the game. That's the way it was. I mean, that's the way it was. You can send enough blitzes at them. They they maybe you'll 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 run a blitz you've never shown before. The other team would get angry, like, you've never shown that play before. You, you know, what are you doing running that play? Guys were yelling on the field at each other, like, why didn't you show that? Like, we don't have to show it. That's, that's a special surprise just for you guys. We, we thought about this play, and we did it week and week and week after. I, I think the 1985 Chicago Bears going to the Super Bowl – Maybe not for the whole game, but for at least part of the game, the starting quarterback was knocked out of the game, at least either totally or partially. Now, the Bears had a great season that year, only lost one game, the Miami Dolphins. Do you think it was the quarterbacks fearing for their life? Uh, it's like kickers. Um, I was on special teams, kickoff return. If, you, the, if the kicker kicked the ball off, and you had a guy like Doug Plank, 10 yards from him. And in fact, I would run towards the kicker when he was coming to kick it so that when he kicked it, 
and he's looking at it like he just hit a home run in baseball and he wants to see it go up in the stands. Where do you think I am? Right, <laughs> right in his face. Sometimes he didn't see me coming. Uh, that, that all changed. Uh, <laughs> that all changed. Uh, if a kicker, you, you can't hit a kicker after he kicked the ball. You know, plus, you know, every team only has one kicker. It's not like you got multiple pitchers like in baseball. If you only come to the game with one pitcher, you want to protect that guy. Right. If you come to the game with one punter and one kicker, those guys shouldn't get kicked out at all. I mean, they shouldn't even get hit. Um, if a player isn't attempting to make a tackle, we used to still block the kicker. If the kicker and the punter are not trying to make, get into the game, they don't want to kick it, they don't want to tackle anybody, you can't touch them. They're, they're off, they're off, off hands. You, 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 you can't lay a hand on them. So, and I think that's all, it's all good. Uh, it, it less, it lessens the intimidation factor and you have specialists that you really need for the game to take place. The punter and the kicker. Um, I think, you know, protecting them was a good decision and, but it, it definitely changed, you know, how the game looked as far as football in college and in pros. That's an interesting thing you said. Was what do you think they? What do you think that kicker's thinking when Doug Plank's running at him ten feet away? That's got to be a big part of of your strategy going into a football yes. game. Is I'm going to let this guy know that I'm going to hit him so hard if I have the opportunity. I want to put that in the back of his mind. I think there's gamesmanship like that in baseball. It's different between the hitter and the pitcher. If I'm facing yep. Roger Clemens, he's going to let a young Brett Boone know that that's the inside of the plate for him, and he might throw one under my chin. Now, yep. to his to his uh, dismay, I don't really give a shit. You're not going to really intimidate me by throwing one under my chin. That's just ball one to me. Now you got to throw it out over the plate. So I used to I used to almost laugh at pitchers with the intimidation factor, like, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna throw you up and in. I don't really care. And if I get hit, yeah, nobody likes to get hit. But that's one less out I made, and I'm on first base, and I might score. So that's the mentality I had. But I understand what you're saying. Just that in the back of your mind, that that wide receiver coming across the middle, because you're known to be a hard hitter, it's like, man, all right, where's Doug? Where's Doug on this particular play? Just that little indecision, indecisiveness, may be the difference of him making a great catch or, or dropping that ball. You know what happened too? The the rule was as long as the quarterback was had the ball in his hands and didn't throw it yet, you could hit any receiver downfield. This is before the <laughs> rule changes. So you don't think that those receivers were getting hit every single play. If they turned their head to look back for the ball, they were going down. As long as receiver was running across the field with his head straight ahead, he's not looking back at the quarterback. He, I know he's not he's not at the prime receiver. Because he don't even care about catching the ball. He don't want to catch the ball. He's just running and running. And he's looking down the field. I'd let him go. He's a decoy. I'm looking for the guys that are looking back at the quarterback all the time. That's the guys I want to take out. And as long as I could hit them before the ball was in the air, perfectly legal. Perfect. It was, I don't know, it was like a duck hunt. You know, like a, you ever go out and shoot ducks? <laughs> barrel, yeah. barrel, they're just going over. They don't know anything. You're loaded with all these shotgun shells <laughs> firing at them. I mean, I can't tell you how much fun I had before all these rules changes. And, you know, so now all of a sudden, you know, it's six foot, you know, 200 pounds. 
you know, that, that was still dangerous. You get hit by a guy and you're not coming. I would just try to run through them. I always imagine that whoever I hit, there was nothing there. And I'm just trying to get to the space on the other side of that person. So I would just run like I was running a race and just try to run right through them. And, um, you know, some of them didn't make it. Uh, you know, it was, but I, I planted a permanent memory that I know that they'll never forget. And, uh, you know, how do you, how do you break helmets? Well, you break helmets by running into other helmets. And at least I knew when I was going to hit somebody because I was making that determination. Those other guys were just simply running across the field, looking straight ahead, or maybe they were looking at me. They, they didn't want any part of the ball. They, they would duck or dive or whatever. They didn't even try to even try to catch the ball. <laughs> did, you, you, did you ever, did you ever hit somebody so hard? Now that's your job is to put the job. fear of God, to put your fear of God into him. And, and if that was my job, that's what I would try to do. Did you ever hit somebody so hard that you kind of worried for him afterwards? Like, Oh, he might not be okay. Yeah, I did. Yeah. There was, there was a, about a handful of players during my career. I wish I would not have hit them. I didn't do it illegally. There was nothing I did that was uh, a fine. Um, you know, it, it's, uh, I mean, we're, we still have to have respect for each other and yes, we're opponents, but we have to respect each other for what the position we're in and what we're doing. And, you know, I, I always, I always made sure that whatever I did, it was, it was in, in between the whistles. Now, let me just say this though, Brett, there's a big difference between college and pros. When you're in college, when you hit the ground with any elbows, knees, you know, hand down, the play is over and the whistles get blown immediately. In the NFL, you were allowed to go down on the ground. And as long as nobody hit you, you could get back up again. So there were times where when I came up to tackle somebody, they tripped and fell and now they're on the ground. So what am I going to do now? I'm going to hit them. They're on the ground. Now, uh, people say I was not a, a, a clean player. I was a dirty player. There were several years where I was the least penalized player on our team. How can you go through a, a season and be the least penalized player on your team and still be a dirty player, a player that's trying to hurt other people? I mean, when, when you see collisions, you don't think that some of those brain cells are also being uh, exterminated on my side of the ball? Yes, in my helmet. You don't think there's going to be consequences, stitches, headaches, concussions, cracked helmets? Yes, I... I I suffered for every one of those tackles and hits that I made, but I, that was a determination I made. And I said, as long as I'm playing in the national football league, it's, it's worth it for me to go ahead and continue um, my style because it certainly intimidated players on other teams and got them thinking about everything except catching the football. Which is, yeah, which is what your job is <laughs> to put that yes. little doubt, little doubt. Yeah. You know what? If they came across the middle, you know, the other thing is I, I, I didn't like watching film where a guy was going for the interception, the defensive back and missed it. And all of a sudden the ball is in the, in the receiver's hands now. And he runs 79 yards for a touchdown. I said, you know what? Do I have an incentive in my contract for making 
interceptions. No, no, they didn't put that in there. Why would they? They knew I was well, and I, I I would get maybe four or five a year, you know, by accident interceptions. But I I knew one thing: you were never going to see Doug Plank going for the ball. The receiver catches it instead. He runs seventy nine yards. No, he's going down. <laughs> many times when I would get there a little bit later, the ball and the receiver and Doug Plank got to the same point at the same time, and it was a huge collision. And there was nobody catching the ball. You played for the Bears 75 to 82. You played for the Chicago Blitz 1984, and then you retired. Uh, you didn't come back to organized football until 2001. Uh, and I know you got into the restaurant business. Give me a little life after football because all of us are, are different. You know, we're uh, some guys, uh, they plan. You know, at the end of their career, they start networking. You know, I had a brother and a father that went right onto the field uh, post-career. I was different. I, I kind of wanted, when I retired, I thought, I, I want to go off in the sunset. I want to go play golf. Now, 10 years in, uh, I was looking around going, I got to do something. You know, now I'm getting on the media side a little bit. So we all have a different journey uh, once we're done being players. For you, you went into the restaurant business. Uh, take me through that those years before you got back into organized football. Brett, there was my fifth year in the league. I, I, I was one of the more open, congenial players that would answer questions, tell everybody about what I wanted to do or, you know, during the football game, how much I loved it, all that sort of thing. And uh, so I, I was one of the more popular players giving, doing speeches, you know, signing autographs, going out, uh, you know, for new openings of stores, restaurants in Chicago, all that sort of thing. And there was one time I had a chance of going to a Burger King restaurant. And I always made sure I always talked to the owner before I left because I just wanted to thank him for the opportunity to come out, share it with his customers, things like that. And so I'm starting to talk. I always interviewed those guys. You know why? Because my job was going to end soon. I always tried to make, I, I, I've had a contest with myself also. Can I make more money in the off season than I did during the season? <laughs> yeah. Well, that was a thing back then. Now, everybody worked. You know, everybody came to the last game with their cars and, and trucks packed because they had all their belongings. When the game was over, they were dispersing across America to all their home. You're not going to see these guys for six more months. And so having a job, a lot of the guys would talk about working the next morning, that they had already called their boss and they were going to be work, working Monday 500 miles away from the game. But anyway, this, this this was in particular, the guy, I said, geez, I really appreciate you asking me to come out here and sign autographs. I said, how did you get involved in this business? And, and he told me this great story, started as an employee, assistant manager, manager, part owner, and uh, went on for, I could tell, he, I hit his hot button. And he goes on, talks about all the story, and, and he goes, Doug, if this is something you think you want to do, I can help you. He goes, I know all the people in Burger King Corporation. And uh, so what happened was after that, I called them and made some contacts. And I said, listen, I, I, it's only my fifth year. I don't know. I can, I can be done next week or next year. I said, I just appreciate if you guys could just keep me in touch. For those three years, I would contact those guys and back and forth, you know, letters, phone calls, blah, blah. And so after my career was coming to an end and I had suffered a spinal concussion, which is a swelling of your spinal cord something you don't want to have happen to you. Um, 
I called him and I said, you know what? I, I think, I, I think I'm almost done. You know, I, I'm done with this football. And, um, they said, uh, Doug, we have a store in Columbus, Ohio, where you went to college in Ohio State, and it's it's in the it's in the making, it's being built, and we'd like to put you in that restaurant. Now, I had a, I already went to training. I didn't tell anybody this. My fifth year, I went to Detroit, Michigan, and I trained at a Burger King restaurant as a Chicago Bear for two weeks, and I got approved. You know, mayonnaise, lettuce, tomato, pickle, ketchup, onion. I, I had the whole thing down: double cheeseburgers, whoppers, whatever. And uh, so they go, Doug, we're going to prove you. So you tell us when you're ready to go. And three years later, after this time, I was, you know, spinal concussion, let go, all that sort of thing, done playing with the Blitz. I only played one year for the Blitz. Uh, Marv Levy was the coach, great coach, you know, for uh, guys, a lot of teams around the league. And uh, so I just felt like, you know, I needed one more year just to get it out of my system. And uh, so 30 days after leaving the bears. Uh, I was in Burger King. I was running a Burger King in Columbus, Ohio. And I, I built that up to 13 or 14 restaurants over like a seven year period. And uh, so you, I, I always, I always saw these players that would come around practice and stuff, former players. And I would ask them, what, what are they doing? They weren't doing anything. You know, they, they were ill-prepared football doesn't prepare you to do anything except run into uh, each other. You know, if you were going to be some NASCAR driver or something, I'd say, hey, great job. You know, you you found the right sport, running into everything. But you know what? It it it's it, yes, it's teamwork, and there, there's a lot of things I learned from that. When I ran restaurants, I always had weekly meetings, you know, with the whole with the whole employee staff, and I I rewarded them just like we like we were rewarded when we won games, like going free dinner at some restaurant or something like that. Um, it wasn't, there was no bounty thing associated with it at all. I mean, it was just simply a recognition of somebody doing a good job. And um, I started doing that with all my employees and um, it worked out great. I mean, so I took those team concepts that I learned in football and I put them in my business life with great success. I mean, I had, uh, you know, new stores that I was building. I, I learned to become a contractor. I got a contractor's license. I got a real estate license. I've had a loan origination license. I wanted to be the one-stop shop. You come in, I can take care of you. We're going to go get the location. We're going to go buy it with, for my real estate license. We're going to go build it, build a 2,500 square foot Burger King with my construction contractor's license and go get a loan with my loan origination license. And, and then I'm going to be a Burger King franchisee. There's a movie out there uh, with McDonald's, Ray Kroc. And he said, this, I'll never forget. He goes, it's not about selling hamburgers. It's about the real estate. The real estate is, is the power and the profit of the company. And since that day, uh, <laughs> I've kept those words very close to my decision-making in anything I do, whether it's in buying private houses, private residences, uh, or commercial properties. Um, you know, th those are truly because they can make money for you, Brett, when you're not there. You know, with Burger King, I, I never got, well, you get two days off a year, Thanksgiving and Christmas. That's it. That's the only two days you get off because these restaurants are open. So, you know, many times my wife and I would be going to dinner and I'd get the call and I'd say, honey, you have to go by yourself. Drop me off at the restaurant. I'm going to be working late tonight. Somebody didn't show up. Something didn't happen. 
machine broke, whatever the case might be. Um, so football taught me disciplines and uh, I was able to transfer those, you know, to other occupations when I said it's over. 2001, you came back. Your first uh, job back in football was the Georgia Force. Uh, yes. Did you miss the game? Is that why you came back? I Honestly, you know, when I came back, I go, I can't believe how much I love this game. Now, it was the same same sort of thing. I don't care what league or what, what your priority is. You know, you evaluate players just like you did when you were a player. You know, you said, was this somebody that I would want next to me? Uh, if it was somebody that only gave 80% effort and took off 20% of the time, I'm sorry. I don't care how talented – you might do be able to do a 30 inch vertical jump or whatever. I don't care. You don't have the attitude. And when we're all in that room watching this film, don't you think all these other players are looking at you saying he gave up, he, he loafed, you know, it's a long way to run across the football field with wise. You know what though? That guy on the other side of the, of the, of the play many times is the guy that stops a touchdown or makes a big play, runs over and picks a ball up off the ground. Now, he, he could have just stayed where he was and just jogged somewhere and made it look like he was, you know, fo- you know loafing around. Um, but it's truly those guys that run like they, they have a passion. They, they will not be stopped. And I like to feel like I was one of those guys. I would just keep going, going, going. Everything's full speed. There's no half speed. And – uh, because I know there's guys chasing me, you know, and I want to get them before they get me. So I want to be so determined and so adamant about what I'm doing that people don't want to get in my way because I, I truly want to be like, you know, a cruise missile and uh, try to knock the ball loose, try to make a play, try to tackle someone to help us win a game. Coached uh, a lot of different spots in the arena, in the arena league. You're two-time arena football uh, head coach of the year, coach for the Jets and the Falcons. Chicago, you're still a household name in Chicago. I think it's the Bears man. Uh, <laughs> yeah, he still wears he still wears your number. Uh, the 46 defense. Just wrap it up for me as far as what it meant play, being a Bear. In the, in the great city of Chicago, Soldier Field, to have a defense named after you. I know you probably – I could tell by just by the guy you are right now, oh, Brad, it's no big deal. But it is a big deal. It's pretty cool that you have a defense named after your number. Brad, you know, it's so funny because I was not on the 85 team. I was watching those games, though, all, all during that year because it was on Sunday. It's a slow day at the restaurants, so I usually took off on Sunday if I could. And I'm, I'm watching this game, and uh, I'm watching Buddy Ryan on the sidelines. You know, he'd give all signals and stuff like that. I knew all signals. He didn't even change any signals. So every time I saw him on the sideline giving his hands, I knew exactly what they were going to run in a game. I'm going, come on, buddy. You can't – you know, there's, there's spies out there. You know, they – you know, uh, here's, the, here's the key, though. Buddy's – uh, it, his signals weren't like, go get the quarterback, let's go rush or anything. Every game, he put in a lot of work by looking at every formation, every down and distance, every position on the field, and what are their tendencies to run a play in that particular area and on that particular down and at that particular time of the game. Now, that's four criteria. Then he would do he – would, he would put together this game plan – 
And wherever we were on the field, whatever down it was, however many yards they had to get a first down, myself and Gary Fensick, the other safety, would memorize the line front because I was a middle linebacker in this 46 defense. And Gary was the, you know, came over and played free safety. We would make the calls to our, our fellow players. We look over there, we see what formations, what motions, whatever. So every week it was different though. Every team is different. You know, there's not the same hitters like in baseball or lot, you know, great, you know, infielders. They're, they all are special. So each, each week we had a special game plan. And when Buddy would clap his hands like this and rub it across his chest, that, that was the call. It meant automatic front coverage calls. So the front, the coverages, and the blitzes were all automatic. Gary and I had memorized them, fencing, so that when we went into the game, they were different than the last week. Because all these teams would keep coming, we got you now. We're going to run a trick play against you guys. You're going to never know what's going on. No, we're not going to run that same play this week. We got a whole new play <laughs> set up for you. <laughs> so every single week, I mean, it was hilarious. You, I Guy, big holes. I mean, we were running through holes you couldn't believe. And, uh, and it was always about if somebody took you as a blocker, run over him. And Buddy used to say, you're going to buy the blocker, which meant – the blocker is not going to go anywhere. Teams tried running screens against us. That's that's where the quarterback goes back. Everybody comes in trying to rush against them, and then they sneak somebody out in the flat and dump the ball to him, and he runs for a touchdown. You know what? There was nobody running around because every guy on the line was grabbed. I love being a middle linebacker on that defense. We had six guys on the last scrimmage. No lineman could, could get off blocks. So when I ran in on blitzes, I was hitting a quarterback. There was nobody blocking me. The center, the two guards, the two tackles, they, they all had defensive lineback, linebackers and, and linemen on them. They just gra- – I mean, even at 200 pounds, man, you can hit some quarterbacks. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, they, they were uh, – the other thing was I, I loved – there was a rule too. When a quarterback threw an interception, where do you think all the defenders would go to? other than the guy with the ball. There's 10 guys now. What, what are they going to do? They're going to go get the quarterback. <laughs> so whenever quarterbacks, they, when quarterbacks saw this on film, when they saw another quarterback throw an interception in the game before us, they would start running to the sideline because they knew 10 guys were coming after them. As soon as they saw that interception, they, 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 they wouldn't stick around. They would say, I just threw an interception, and there's 10 guys coming after me. I'm going to start running to the other goal line or just get away. The NFL came in and said, if nobody's making an effort to try to make a tackle, you can't hit them. You can't tackle them. You can't, you can't jump on the pile. Sometimes we'd jump on top of them. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just no, listen, we would watch this film the next day. I'm serious, Brett. We would be laughing. It would be happy hour. I mean, there was no drinks in there, but we were having so much fun drinking Gatorade, laughing at the films. You know, what we did to the opposition, at least even when I was there, is I've never seen it ever since then because it was complete humiliation and destruction for the other team. That's awesome. Well, Doug Plank, I appreciate you coming on the Boom Podcast. It was a lot of fun. Voted 100 Greatest Bears of All Time. Uh, it's fascinating to listen to you and, and the game that you played and, and how it's changed. The Burger King is classic for me. 
uh, coached a lot of years in the Arena League back in the NFL. And uh, I appreciate you coming on the Boom Podcast. And for all you out there listening to the Boom Podcast, thanks for listening. We will see you next time. <laughs>